And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show and our first weekend review of 21-22. It was a weekend in which we learned Man City need a man up top. Man United look like the cream of the crop. Barca haven't had a post-messy drop. Erling Haaland cannot stop. And Jimmy Madranda had a pretty good pop from a corner. <laughs> Joining me today is a man who's as comforting and reassuring as a Christian Pulisic opening day goal, Taylor Rockwell. Wow, that is, that's like the nicest thing I think you've ever said to me on this show. Hi, Ryan. Thanks for that. Now you're making me think I've never said anything nice to you, Taylor. No, you've said nice things. That's just the nicest to compare me to a Christian Pulisic goal and the comfort that that does bring to the American fan base, which was once again very anxious about the uh, the future of Christian Pulisic at Chelsea. He scores a goal, so at least that's good. Yeah, just remember this time last year, Tate, when uh, Frank Lampard didn't know his name, I don't think. So we've come a long way from that point, certainly. We have that we have, that we have. A long way indeed. Uh, also here today is a man who can dissect the game with the ease of Liverpool dissecting Norwich City whenever they play them, Graham Rudman. <laughs> Uh, hi Ryan, how are you? I, I, I'll take that as a, as a compliment, uh, given how easily Liverpool did slice open Norwich. I have deja vu with Norwich, with everyone bigging them up before the start of the season. And then the season starts and, uh, oh, right, okay, maybe they're going to be down there again. That's awkward. Yeah. Playing lots of open soccer, but have some work to do. It's the same report card that we saw issued the last time they were in the Premier League a little bit. But I think they've got a bit more about them, uh, yeah. Graham, certainly. Uh, I'll, I've got a couple of notes I had from the weekend here. Uh, no draws in the opening week of Premier League action, which was fun. Um, and Graham, I don't know if you're watching Match of the Day, but they did a graphic with... Um, Jurgen Klopp and, uh, and and Daniel Farker on the same screen, and Klopp doesn't have it. He's not wearing glasses at the moment. Yeah. Is that 
and they looked like the same man. And I was really confused as to who was who. It's like this slightly which, beady German man. Which thing did you find more off-putting? That of Klopp not wearing the glasses and the face comparison there, or a clean-shaven or relatively clean-shaven Gerard Piquet? Because that also seemed very strange to me. I wasn't really ready for has that. Any, has anyone spotted Gerard Piquet's Instagram at the moment? Oh, it's, so it's all the same face, right? It's all selfies of the same expression for about the last month. I'm not kidding. I posted a picture of it on my on my Twitter today. A man who seemingly before before the summer didn't hadn't discovered a selfie camera now believes that is the only camera on his phone. It's quite. <laughs> It's and, quite and, uh, unnerving. <laughs> and you have to, like, like you can see your grid. You know the last things you posted. I occasionally look at mine and think, there's more to my life than just my daughter. I should probably post other things that aren't just a baby. I like that Jared Piquet <laughs> has gone the opposite route of, I'm just posting my face with the same <laughs> unaffected ex- expression. It's uh, very Kristen Stewart of him. He needs to make the most of it, to be honest. Um, I'm not sure he can afford a phone contract now. He's on $4 a week. <laughs> Might be cut off soon. We'll never know. We never know. Uh, Shakira can pick up the bill. Are they still together? I'm assuming they are. I believe I so. they are. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, she may be uh, getting slightly higher remuneration in the coming months and years yeah. uh, than her husband. We shall see about that. And we'll get to Barcelona later on in the show and much more indeed. I wanted to touch on some personal experience here because there's this one yeah. thing Total Soccer Show lacks, guys. It's me talking about AFC Wimbledon. <laughs> Um, in the appropriate so, uh, setting, Ryan, in the appropriate <laughs> setting. That's the difference. So Friday night with the Premier League, it was very, very exciting. We had um, Brentford against Arsenal, um, you know, a, a brand new London side against a, a, a finished one, if, if you want to call it that. I'm, I'm, I'm coming out firing already, but it was you know, a, a pretty good game for Brentford, mainly because it was the first time for them in their new stadium with fans present. And that was it felt like a very special moment. And you could see how thrilled Thomas Frank was uh, at that stadium. Thomas Frank, the uh, Brentford manager, who, by the way, my brother ran past in Richmond Park on Saturday morning. I thought I had to get some more stuff in. Uh, you know, you know I'm, I'm, <laughs> I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. Um, but on Saturday, Wimbledon, AFC Wimbledon, had the same thing. Playing at home in a brand new stadium with fans for the first time. And I was lucky enough that my, my time here in the UK coincided with that. And it was a huge, huge emotional time for Wimbledon fans. It's the first home game in 30 years. Wimbledon moved away from Wimbledon in 1991, went to Selhurst Park and then went to Kings Meadow, neither of which are in Wimbledon. It was it was just an incredibly emotional occasion. I'm I'm mad enough to admit that walking to the stadium, I had a little cry. I saw the um that it was against Bolton Wanderers, and walking out uh fr- from the train station, you get this thing in the UK when away fans um come to a ground, they'll take over a pub. They'll decide this is our pub. We'll put our flags outside. And the first one of those I saw, I kind of got the hair stand up in the back of my neck, like. Mm-hmm. We're back, guys. Fans are in stadiums again. We've got the banter. I can hear northern accents on the streets of London. This is wonderful. This is wonderful, wonderful stuff. So I get into the stadium, and it's perfectly brand new and shiny and wonderful. It's going to be a beautiful sunny day. And I got down to the bar, and I I met Andy Brassel, um, (laughs) coincidentally. And we kind of, we had this, you know that Paul Rudd meme where he's like, Who'd have thought it? Look at us. <laughs> Not me. That was kind of the, the feeling we both had looking like, it's amazing that we're in this brand new stadium that's completely funded by fans, by the way. This was a fan uh, initiative. Uh, Wimbledon had the opportunity to take outside investment at one point when it looked like costs were rising, which they did indeed. But we refused, refused to take up majority, uh, refused to uh, concede majority ownership and created bonds and dimensions to basically make it happen. And we did. 
And it was just incredible. And at the start of the game, um, there was a minute's applause dedicated to all Wimbledon fans who couldn't make it to see the team come back. Because as I say, it's been 30 years. And that hit me again. I got, I got the feels again because, um, as, I'm, as I've mentioned on the show before, my dad passed away in 2015. He was the one who indoctrinated my brother and me into Wimbledon and its ways. And I just, all I could think was, if he, if he could be here today, he'd be... I, I can't even say it was yeah. it was just an incredible incredible time very very emotional and also a very good game uh, we, Wimbledon were 3-1 down and we pulled it back to 3-3 very nearly got a 4-3 goal as well and I just it was just one of those days where I was reminded this is why we love this sport I went out for I went out for dinner later on with my wife in the evening and she was just like oh you're just obsessed with soccer aren't you why why, why do you love it so much and I kind of sort of sat back and it sounds really cliche but I was like it's not really about the soccer for me it's about it's about what it brings to you it's about for me it's about my family it's about community I was born into my club and I'm a part of it I'm literally an owner of my club and a stakeholder in it and for me it's my family's legacy it's how we sort of define ourselves and I think it's the importance of football for a lot of people has been shown as the fans have come back this weekend and and, and in previous weeks as well it is a community sport at its heart it's for everybody and it's something that brings us together. It's part of the human condition that we need to be together. And for, for, for me and for many of our listeners and for many people around the world, soccer is that vehicle. So that was my time at yeah. Wimbledon. And it was, a, it was a lovely Saturday. Thank you for asking. Ryan, <laughs> Ryan, with that, the, the meme you mentioned of the like, look at us, look how we got here. Like, <laughs> was that, was that a, a shared vibe like with you? And sorry, who were Wimbledon playing again? Bolton. So yeah, Bolton. there was it was interesting because it was a, it was a sold out stadium. It was it's around ten thousand capacity at the moment. Uh, the Bolton fans had behind one of the goals, and they were really loud. And I realized I was thinking, why aren't the Wimbledon fans as loud as them at the moment? And particularly for the first half, it all just felt like we were in a daze. We we're all just like, I can't believe this is happening. Yes, we were excited and we were thrilled to be there, but you look around and it was wet eyes everywhere and people just like, I, this is incredible that this has happened. So uh, I think I'm going back on Tuesday. We're playing Gillingham on Tuesday. So I'll come back and it'll be louder then. I think obviously that this whole um, period, the last 18 months has been dreadful. And if, if there's a, a few positives, I think through soccer, one of them is that you mentioned there, Ryan, that, that soccer isn't actually really about the game that gets played on the pitch, and, and right. I think there is a greater understanding of that now. And I haven't, I actually haven't been able to get back to, to my club yet. Our rules are slightly different in, in Scotland. I'm hoping that will happen in, in the next few weeks. But when I when I do get back to Stirling Albion, you know, there'll be friends there that I haven't seen in, in nearly two years who I sit with when I go and watch go, go and watch them play. And the closest thing I've had to it was was actually on Friday night. To what you mentioned there, Ryan, the closest I've had to that was on Friday night with Brentford, a club I have no connection to. I, you know, I'm quite fond of them. I'd like to see them do well. And those scenes at full time, me and my wife, who my wife has absolutely zero connection to soccer in any way, she doesn't tend to watch any of the games. We just sat in silence and watched you know, a, a full capacity crowd at Brentford sing Hey Jude or Hey Brentford, mm. as mm. they sing. <laughs> with old guys with tears streaming down their face and Thomas Frank, you know, che- cheering with, with, with young kids in the stand. And it, it was amazing. And like that, I felt slightly emotional at that. And that's a club that I have no connection to. So I can't imagine what, what it was like for you, Ryan, going, going to, to Wimbledon, not just with COVID, but obviously everything that club has been through as well. Yeah, yeah. Power of the sport, Graham. The power of the sport. And it is a wonderful thing that we're all uh, sharing a part of. Uh, why I don't really we talk want- about... 
I really want though now, like now that you all have brought brought this up and made me emotional, I I think we need some sort of uh, TSS preseason tournament where we can get the Richmond Kickers, my local team, Phoenix Rising, who I think would destroy the Richmond Kickers, Joe's team. We get Sterling, we get Wimbledon, maybe we get like Wolves Academy team, and we get them all together, and we just have like a preseason tour or preseason tournament with those five clubs. I think I think I've stumbled upon something. We need we need to get that sort of uh, like preseason it. competition going so we can feel the chemistry all the more. Yeah, let's than call the Super it the League. Flo- <laughs> we'll call it the Florida Cup, Taylor. What do Perfect. you think? Does that take a- <laughs> I love it. I hate it. I love it. You know, I love talking about the weekend's action. Why don't we get to it with the box office game of the weekend, certainly in Premier League terms. We had Tottenham taking on Manchester City at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, as it's known. Um, 60,000 fans in there. And uh, I'll I'll let you know, I was actually offered a ticket for this game. I couldn't make it, unfortunately. But um, a vaccine was required or proof of of a negative test. So uh, the 60,000 fans in there, so they they are trying to do it relatively safely as well. I'll tell you who was unsafe, though. Manchester City, they're fourth time visiting this stadium and their fourth loss as well uh graham what did you make of this one it was a pretty fun open game wasn't it and i think i saw you tweet something along the lines of this is quite bizarre from man city uh the reasons for which are i thought it was a really really strange performance from manchester city um first thing to say is in the first 15 minutes i thought they actually looked pretty good and they really should have been ahead they had a couple um good chances through i think it was Cancelo had a really good chance and Grealish had a, a really good driving run within three minutes that he, he could have gone clean through and goal if he hadn't been tripped on, on the edge of the box. So they actually looked quite good early on. Beyond that, I thought City were quite frankly uh, dreadful, honestly. I, I, I thought I didn't understand their, their game plan at all. They attempted 30 crosses in this game. Uh, were they aiming those crosses for five foot nine Ferran Torres, who was playing as the centre forward, or was it five foot eight Riyad Mahrez, who was on the right side, or was it five foot six Raheem Sterling, who was on the left side, or was this just a ploy by Guardiola to prove how badly he needs Harry Kane in the middle? Who obviously that's the that was the elephant in the room with this this game. His his spectre loomed large over this fixture, and. Look, in my, in my opinion, Kane is probably going to leave. I've got no inside information. It's just a hunch. I think he probably will be a City player by the end of the, the transfer window. And then if this is a breakup, I think Spurs at the moment are winning that breakup because I saw a team that can cope without Harry Kane. Obviously, it'll be slightly different when they have to impose their own game on teams. But there were clear signs of Nuno Ball, if I can call it that, in this, mm-hmm. this Spurs performance. I said in the preview that a hallmark of his Wolves team were individual runners from deep and I think that was something that caused City a lot of problems and I just felt like City never got to grips with what Spurs were were, were throwing at them which was a lot of fast three-man counter-attacking through uh, Son, Bergwijn and who's Mora. Mora. Lucas Mora yep. and they just left with Grealish on the left side of that midfield three I think we kind of saw what Guardiola wants from Grealish for the first time, which was a lot of interchanging move with Sterling and, and one going and then the other falling back and then the other going and the other falling back. But the problem with that was Fernandinho, poor Fernandinho, was just left on his own to deal with the Spurs counter-attack on his own. Gundogan mm-hmm. is, I know he has been a six in the past, but he's now more of an eight, maybe even more than that, more attacking. And he was pushing forward. And I just felt like City kind of, forgot that they need to protect at the back, particularly because the fullbacks weren't really pushing into central midfield, which was a feature of last season. Cancelo wasn't really doing that. So I think City, the two yeah. games they've played this season, the Community Shield and this one, 
have created more, have more questions about City now that we're into the season than we did before the season started. And Graham, like the, the fullbacks not going central was especially baffling as this game went on because we saw Pep over and over. The camera would cut to him on the sidelines and there were very animated conversations in that bench about what was happening and what, what needed to change. And the commentators were telling us that he was telling them to step forward more aggressively and get numbers higher up the pitch. And and I understand all that. And it's the first game of, of the uh, Premier League season, second game for City overall. But but the the lack of sort of numbers in the middle was really odd to me, again, especially as the game went on, because that was clearly what Spurs were trying to do, were keep that kind of front three that you mentioned very narrow, close together, and then you can counterattack through them. And that's where the goal comes from. That's where most of their counterattacks came from, were sort of rapid-fire counters through the middle because they had a mismatch. And to some extent, I think they're playing... They're basically use, utilizing what Man City want to do, which is have those kind of attacking fullbacks get involved in the attack, and they're using that to their advantage rather than spreading those wide players wide, obviously, but then hoping to pin those fullbacks back. They basically kept them central and had that overload constantly. And why Pep never had the fullbacks move more central to limit that or put more numbers there to kind of negate the threat of the counter, instead he basically had Fernandinho step even higher, and that's where the goal comes from, is he basically is too far forward, he gets bypassed by the little flick, and away we go. But there were, I'm with you, there were definitely just moments in this one where it felt like a quick adjustment here, a quick player move there, and most of the things are kind of sorted. Not trying to say I know more than Pep, because I certainly don't, but... Hmm. I'm with you that a lot of this didn't make sense for Manchester City. And contrasting that with Spurs, I think we did see a lot of Nuno getting this team together, playing in a very like hard-nosed, hard-fought way. Jafet Tanganga had an immense game. And yeah, I think if you're a Spurs fan, you're feeling optimistic. You definitely are. But just to, just to touch on Man City one more time, Pep was full of excuses after the game. He was talking about the Euros, he was talking about COVID, all these things that have affected many other teams, Tottenham included. It was, this was a game where Walker and Stones didn't start. We had Nathan Arke in the back again, who's probably quite low on confidence given the Community Shield um, output that he had. It seemed like City just weren't quite the races. Lots of, you know, they, they, were, they were getting off some shots from the edge of the box, and they're allowing a lot of shots from the edge of the box as well, I should say, as well. Um, but like, Gundogan, I'd counted a few uncharacteristic sloppy passes from him. And as we've mentioned here, Fernandinho was made to look all of his 36 years for, for long periods here. But what I'll ask is, didn't we have this same feeling at the start of last season? Wasn't it sort of five yeah. to ten games before um, Man City showed up? Yeah, that's right. And and really, I was looking back through how Manchester City have started Premier League seasons under Guardiola. And actually, the only really good start that they had was in his first season when they didn't win the Premier League title and actually mm. fell away and finished fourth, I think, or third, third or fourth that season. So... Yes, it's certainly a feature of their, their play under Guardiola that they, they do uh, start slowly. I have to say, though, given that there, there hasn't really been much upheaval, you know, Grealish is the only player who's, who's, who's come into that, into that team, I, I still think it's reasonable to expect more of them. I mean, you look at, you look at the, the players that they had on the pitch. Yes, sure, they, you know, some of those players maybe aren't ready after the Euros, have had a little bit extra time off, but... City have the most stacked squad in the Premier League. Their squad is a joke. Uh, I think only maybe PSG's squad is stronger. And, and even then, I would argue it's their starting line, lineup that's stronger. I think City have the strongest um, depth options mm. in, in all of football. So I think, I think it's reasonable to expect more of them. Um, but it does, it does really feel like when those teams came out, I looked at 
City and I, I saw a team that's waiting for Harry Kane to be signed and then I looked at Spurs and even though things panned out slightly better for them, I also saw a team that is waiting for Harry Kane to be sold. <laughs> so it, yeah. it just feels like they both teams for their own sake. And actually, I think this result and performance probably made it more likely that Kane will go because City will spend the money given that their season hasn't started that well. And I think this performance result for Spurs will show to them that they can still be a successful team without Harry Kane. So I just think this, again, no inside information. I just think this result probably increases the likelihood that deal will get done. Yeah, Graham, I'm totally with you. And even watching the way that front three for Spurs sort of stuck together, but interchanged and sometimes Son was central, sometimes he was on the left, sometimes he popped up on the right, sometimes Lucas Moore was central. And there was just so much fluidity to the way they played and mobility. And that's not a thing I think of when I think of Harry Kane. Certainly he has a lot of skill set, like a lot of strengths that he could bring to both Man City and Spurs. But I, I I didn't see a ton of him in this lineup for Spurs. Now, he does feel more like uh, a Raul Jimenez type of player that if he were fit, I'm sure Nuno would change things and play off of him and find ways to combine with him. But I'm, I, I I agree, Graham, that it, it felt to me like one team was really missing Harry Kane and it was not the team that currently employs and pays him. It was the team that had runners trying to pull people out of position and trying to stretch the line. But I saw on, on multiple occasions Torres and Sterling would make the same run to the same space or Torres and Mares or Grealish and Sterling. And there wasn't that sort of dedicated focal point of the attack you think about the way Dortmund attacked through Erling Haaland we'll talk about them later but there's just that ruthlessness there's the awareness of where he needs to be what run he needs to make there's the demand to have the ball and then he can run the plays and I think City were were just missing a little bit of that sort of goal scoring nous I believe is is what you you Brits would call it uh and I, and I think that that did make a big difference in this game Taylor what do you think we learned about Nuno Ball, as Graham has dubbed it here? Um, we had a 4-3-3 here. Mm. Um, do you think we're going to see a back three soon? I mean, players like Tanganga, who was superb in this game, could probably slot into that kind of system quite nicely. Mm. Um, there was fears that Nuno, Nuno Ball might be a bit similar to, similar to Mourinho Ball in a Tottenham context. But, you know, th- there wasn't too much negativity on show here. It was quite fast and fluid going forward. Lots of hard yeah. work being done, some good decision making. What did you make of it? I mean, I thought it was great, and and I think it was way better than I thought it was going to be. This weekend was pretty eye-opening for me because I had worries about Spurs and how they were going to adjust. I thought they would fall off pretty precipitously, and I'm, I don't think that as much. I thought the same of Barcelona. What are they going to do with no Lionel Messi? They're in a lot of trouble. They go out and win. Everton, I was sure we're going to have a rough season. They may well still. Obviously, it's only one week, but uh, they get the win. And then Arsenal lost because we're going to be right about some things. We're not going to get everything <laughs> wrong. So we we can feel comfortable with that one. Lots of shots at Arsenal in this one. But yeah, I think overall, we saw a lot of positivity and not just in the result, but in the way that there was fight across the board. There was a physicality and a willingness to get stuck in. And again, Tanganga, Tanganga is central to that even if he was at right back hey uh just that like there were a lot of the professional fouls but then some clean wins and he himself started drawing fouls as the game went on and i think it wasn't the most like heralded spurs team it's eric dyer and sanchez as your two center backs if ever there were a time when i thought they would go with a back three it was this one uh instead they go with more of a four two three one but deli ali 
doing an attacking role and dropping in and being the kind of hard-nosed midfielder that I did not remember that he could be, but certainly he can. Uh, and, and I think there were a lot of things to be excited about if you're a Tottenham fan. And honestly, I think probably things to be excited about if you're a City fan for the reasons that you all have already spotlighted, which is they're still going to sign somebody. I'm guessing it's Harry Kane. I, I tweeted it wouldn't. It doesn't seem like it would be the worst idea to maybe just see how much Kareem Benzema would cost from Real Madrid right now. But uh, I think if you can't do that, they will bring in somebody. But I think there is plenty of reason to be optimistic if you're a City fan as well. But overall, a, a stronger weekend between the two for Spurs. Just what? when you talk about, sorry, right, just when you talk about Taylor, the, the, the positivity of, of Spurs in this game. There, there was definitely a trend across the Premier League. I felt there was a trend anyway of home teams attack. I mean, as Ryan referenced at the top yep. of the show, there, there, were, there wasn't a draw yeah, in the Premier man, League. There was, so I lo- I'm looking at the results and it just felt with crowds back at these games, it felt like there was a real onus on every home team to yep. attack. Now, obviously not every game was a home win. There were three away wins, but of those three away wins, two of the, two, two of the home teams took the lead. So that was, that was Burnley and Newcastle. So that still showed that they were coming out and attacking right from the off the, off the exception being Norwich, with, who were up against Liverpool. So that's quite a difficult one for them. But I definitely felt that as a trend across the league this, this weekend with, with fans back in the stands. Yeah, and I think it. we saw the opposite of that as well when we resumed play after COVID, that home teams started dropping results and conceding more at home and then getting results on the road. And there was some speculation that that was because they were used to that sort of 12th man, that, that sort of pickup when you need it. When you don't have it, you don't have that motivation to fight back. It just becomes that much harder. So yeah, with fans back, I'm not surprised to see those home teams going forward a bit more, celebrating a bit more, and just there being a little bit more positivity for most of the home teams. So we've learned that Tottenham are quite good. We've learned that Man City still can't win at this particular stadium. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tottenham winning this one, 1-0. One we'll be back after this break with some news about Man United against Leeds. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, we are back. Manchester United 5, Leeds 1. Taylor Rockwell, the dream start for your team here. The dream start for Paul Pogba. Four assists, a Man United Premier League record for him. Uh, last time, I believe, in the corresponding fixture last season, this one was 6-2. This one felt a bit more comprehensive, though, did it not, Taylor? It did, and we're stopping the season now, right? Manchester United champions, <laughs> we're good to go. Uh, sorry to Leeds, who are now getting relegated as a result. But yeah, I think we we good to call this season over? Season one champions? Yeah. It was a tight title race with Brentford, but it just got <laughs> over the line on goal difference. Yeah. Oh man, this was exciting. Uh, and I, I tweeted before, I think the night before, that I'm like, I don't know if it's the Varane signing or Sancho. I think it was the hype video, the preseason hype video that they put out, but... 
I was really back in. I was really excited in a way that I haven't been to watch Manchester United play in a while. And maybe it's just like familiarity. Maybe it's only Gunnar Solskjaer still being there and I'm just making my peace with it. But it was fun to watch this team. And I think they rewarded those home fans with a fun performance. And as you said, the four assists from Paul Pogba stand out, the hat trick for Bruno Fernandes, but even that great finish from Mason Greenwood to pull the lead back. That was just so many times I've been at games, season openers, I always go back to DC United, Colorado, where DC get a penalty, they miss the penalty, Colorado win, and that sets the stage for DC to have a pretty mediocre season, which is kind of par for the course for them. But I always wonder, like, what would have happened if they'd scored that penalty? What happens when you have that moment in the opening game or on your debut and you take it and you score? And what is that, like, tone does that set? And Mason Greenwood, there's another reality in which he pings that off the post and it's no goal. And there's still questions about where does he fit in and should it be Cavani and what's the formation? And I think that they get the result in the way they do. It probably calms some nerves, not that there were that many jangled nerves around uh, Old Trafford, but I think it also just is a reminder that there is depth there and there is a quality to this team that uh, some, myself included, maybe tend to forget. Yeah, my Manchester United supporting father-in-law raves about Mason Greenwood, how he's, you know, the, the best so player good. at Man United for a long time. And Ole Gunnar Solskjaer does the same thing, says he's the best yeah. finisher at the club as well. He certainly had a good time, Graham, in this one. Can you can you sort of summarise or speculate as to what the positioning situation was with him and Bruno? Because it's time to seem like they were both doing a false nine. They both seem to have a lot of freedom to move around in this one. Uh, they both dropped deep when needed, but both very impressive as well. Yeah, and and I think you're right to be. I wouldn't say confused because I think this is this is that that was the intention to have a lot of fluidity, a lot of interchangeability. But um, Carl Anka, the Athletic, wrote a, a good piece about this mm-hmm. over the weekend. I think he's been tweeting about this for for quite some time as well. How Oligner Solshire he looks to the 2007 2008 Manchester United team, the front line of Rooney, Tevez, and Ronaldo. And how they, not one of them seemed to be an, orth, at that point anyway, seemed to be an orthodox centre forward. But just having them moving all over the place made them so difficult to track and having that fluidity. And now I'm not saying that Mine would have that level yet, but you can definitely see that the way Solskjaer is, is developing Greenwood is really interesting. And to reference Carl again, he talked about how Solskjaer is adding different layers to Greenwood's game to build him up to be just a complete forward and to, to avoid calling him a center forward because he, he's more than that. You know, he, he, he's, he was drifting out to the right. He was making runs through the middle. There was one moment in this first half where Greenwood drops really deep and he beats a man with a, a little bit of a, a, a dribble, a little bit of skill. I think it's actually for the Paul Pogba chance that he should score before that happens. He then scores the goal from the left side. And I think he really set the tone for this Manchester United performance. I know Pogba was the guy kind of pulling the strings from deep, but it was Greenwood who I looked to as that's what Solskjaer wants from this Manchester United attack. And Taylor, you might remember a game all the way back in 2006, I think it was, because it was before Manchester United won the first title with that that front line. And it was a home game against Bolton, and it was the first game of the season, and they won 5-1. Yep. And after a, after a couple seasons of building, people will forget, this was still with Ferguson, after a couple of seasons of building, Minehead had been kind of a little bit out in the wilderness a little bit, but they had these, this young forward line. And that 5-1 game against Bolton was a little bit of a ta-da moment where Ferguson kind of lifted the curtain up and we saw what it, this team was all about. Now, there's a long way to go, and I'm not saying Manchester United are gonna, definitely going to win the title. And I'm not com- really comparing it to that team, but this felt like a little bit of a ta-da moment for Solskjaer, where, where I was in no doubt that Manchester United were going to not just win this game, 
but comprehensively win this game. It just felt like there was an there was something in the air. And I'm I'm really positive about this Man United team. I think they're going to have a good season again. Doesn't mean that I think they're going to win the title, but I thought that was a really impressive win for them. If there was one negative, I think we still got a sign of where their one glaring weakness is, which the Luke Ailing goal was an absolute stunner. Yeah. But it yeah. comes from a lack of positional awareness from Fred and Pogba. They, they allowed him far too much space. And that's the one position I think I've said previously. If Mine gets us a midfield anchor, I think they're almost a complete team. And even in this victory, there was a sign of that. And I think to continue the uh, comparison that Carl was going with, like I think that 06-07 team doesn't yet have Carlos Tevez. I think he's added at the end of that season. And I remember then thinking like that they had just won the Premier League title. Like that doesn't seem fair. And then they go on to win the Champions League. Not saying that's going to happen here, but I think there's another parallel with adding an attacker like Jaden Sancho, who maybe does have some similarities to Carlos Tevez when being added to that Man United team. And you can sort of see how they're bringing in key attacking components to a team that has at least some level of consistency about them because they've kept Ole around longer than they've kept other managers. So I think there's there's an argument there. There's still certainly, yes, yeah, some some gaps to be filled and some things to be figured out. Announcing Rafael Varane before the game is probably not the worst way to bring about even more confidence. So I mm-hmm. think overall there's probably still some issues and it's not quite as rock solid of a team as as that uh 0708 team was. But I think overall a very positive sign for Man United fans. And uh, Fred got the fifth goal. The commentator said words to the effect of yeah, even right. Fred's getting involved <laughs> yeah. now, as if it was the ultimate indignity for Leeds United, which it may well have been. Um, you mentioned the, the positioning for the ailing goal there, um, Graham. But uh, does this give any any vindication for the McFred partnership this game, though? It did seem like they did a really good job of screening the defence. Uh, you know, they, they, were, they were winning a lot of ball, giving, winning a lot of balls, giving a lot of cover. And Maguire and Lindelof behind them, by the way, when you've got two players there who are really capable of putting a 40, 50-yard pass forward, like straight down the lines, that's a really good asset as well. But the McFred partnership, I thought, maybe got some reprieve in this game. Yeah, and it's not that I don't think Solskjaer, he, he needs to play that partnership at the moment because it's, it's obviously a, a tactical necessity, a structural necessity that he needs to have the, the protection. It's just that I, I feel that that role should probably be one player. And my United don't have yeah. that one player at the moment. So it's not that I, I've, you know, I don't look at that team when, when Solskjaer picks that side and go, oh, Fred and McTominay are playing together again. I think they have to, as you, as you referenced around, particularly in a, in a game like this where you need to provide a little bit more protection to the back four. It's just if they go out and get, I mean, the example everyone uses, obviously, in Golokante, but finding someone like him might be difficult. But as someone in that mould, I think you you take those two players and you and you put them into one, and then all of a sudden you have a, an extra place in your team to have a, a you know maybe a more attack minded player or even just a number eight in there. Um, that's the one the one weakness in this United team. But I, yeah, I I thought it was a, a pretty even even some like Dan James. I mean, obviously Dan James starts this match, and you think he is. Maybe the odd one out in this team, but he has a tactical purpose against Leeds. He always plays well against Leeds and against Chelsea, where you want to push those teams back. You know, those teams have a lot of uh, you know a lot of ability in terms of a high press and so on. And 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 James actually I think does that well against City as well. So even he has a tactical purpose, and that's why that's why I, I look. I'm not saying Solskjaer is Pep Guardiola on Pep's level or on Klopp's level, but. He, He's not a Norwegian PE teacher, as people like to say. Is. He does have a, a base level of, of tactics. And I think James' inclusion and the fact he's still sticking with Fred and McTominay shows that. 
I think there is a pretty strong comparison, at least in my mind, between the England team we watched this summer and this Manchester United team. And I would say, like, the Rice, Declan Rice, Calvin Phillips partnership is similar to the McFred partnership in that you have that sort of, those two players who can sit in front of the back line, who can screen, and then you can rely on your uh, four very attacking creative players to try to create something. The problem becomes when you're playing a team that is sitting deeper and is trying to frustrate. And leads are, are leads. They're going to high press. They're going to be very high intensity. They're also going to try to man mark on occasion. And I think that's a big reason why we saw Bruno moving around was trying to uh, pull Coke out of position. Uh, but what ends up happening is you then get stretched. You then get opened up and then United can counter through there. When you're playing a more bunkered team, you don't need those two holding midfielders. And to Graham's point, I think that's where you run into the same old obstacles. So in some ways, Leeds are probably the ideal opponent to open up for if you're Manchester United, this particular Manchester United. But when you do have to play Burnley, for example, that's where I think the McTominay-Fred frustration reappears unless they're able to kind of just rely on that front four. But I think going against a bunker team with McTominay, Fred, and even Daniel James, who I don't think of as being a a particularly technical player. I think he's very good on the break and can uh, attack open space. I think that's where we'll have to see how much this team has truly evolved. And a note on Leeds. um, Why did they keep getting caught out in this game, particularly in the second half, Graham? Was was it um, maybe Cock was at fault a few times, not quite tight enough with his mat? That sounds really rude um he wasn't <laughs> maybe uh, uh, leaving space to exploit i should say um it seemed like at times they were a bit too open against the team of the quality of man united there's one other thing as well by the way and bolton wanderers in the game i watched were doing this maybe one of you can explain this to me the goal kicks where you have two defenders in the box beside you what is the intended purpose of that because is it to draw players in because quite often, you know, those players won't, the ball won't be passed sideways to one of those defenders. It'll be a chance to pull players in and then boot the ball downfield into space, I presume is what the, the intention is. But it didn't quite work because I think United's first goal came directly from them trying that. So yeah. any ideas about what that's about and what its intention is, Graham? Um, I have to say I, I, that was one of the things maybe I, I didn't notice. I'm not saying it, it didn't happen. But yeah, I think the, the intention would surely be to... Mm-hmm to draw players out so that you can then bypass that that that, fr- that front line, that first line, and then knock the ball into midfield. And all of a sudden you're getting turned and you're you're exposing that that soft underbelly of Manchester United <laughs> that we've just spoken about with uh, Fred McTominay and that back four without Raphael Varane integrated yet. So yeah. yeah, that was maybe the intention. It didn't really work. I mean Leeds this is a this is a common trend for Leeds at Old Trafford now. Uh, eleven goals they've conceded in the in the two games they've played there and uh, after getting promoted back to the, the Premier League. And, and I think this was actually worse than last season, primarily. I don't want to be, I don't want to pick on the guy because it's, it's actually not his best position, but you mentioned the Robin Cock playing in the, the Calvin Phillips role. And I think in his absence, this was an illustration of just how good and important Calvin Phillips is to this Leeds United team, not just in terms of the protection he offers. I think that is often um highlighted as his his best quality for Leeds but actually in terms of how he recycles the ball and actually starts moves for Leeds I think they were they were really lacking in in, in that respect and and while they did create a, a few chances there was a Rafinha chance late on which mm. was particularly painful for me given that I had uh, spent a lot of time and effort trying to get him into my fantasy team because I think <laughs> he's going to have a a good season there weren't there there, were, there wasn't the the customary number of Leeds chances. We, what was the, the, the season last? The game last season was six two, wasn't it? Yes. And really, it could have been six all that game. 
Uh, Leeds had a, a number of chances, and that wasn't really the case. I felt 5-1 was a more accurate reflection of how this, this game went. So uh, they will get better Leeds. Calvin Phillips will come in, come back into the side. I think that will make a big difference, and they'll sharpen up a little bit. And I, I wouldn't be too worried if I was Leeds, to be honest. Yeah, Everton and Burnley up next for Leeds. Maybe a chance to uh, recoup some points uh, at this uh, early stage of the season as well. One thing to note about this game, by the way, it is a rivalry game. It's a big sort of traditional rivalry, Man United and Leeds. And there was an ugly side to this game. There was lots of fighting in the streets of Manchester beforehand. And you may have seen on social media footage of Leeds fans um, chanting, Sancho and Rashford, you've let the country down. Um, in reference to the year of 2020 and their uh, participation in the penalty shootout. Um, no, Leeds fans, you've let your country down. You've mm. let your country down, singing like that, frankly. Disgusting stuff. We don't need to see anything like that. But a good result for Man United all the same and uh, back to the drawing board for Leeds. Why don't we park the Premier League there, gents? Taylor, do you fancy going to Catalonia with me? Barcelona against Real Sociedad. It's a new era for Barcelona. A new era for the Liga, particularly in the US, sir. Uh, Bit strange having the game on ABC. No Ray yeah. Hudson, no Phil Shane. It was Ian Dark and Macca yeah. we had on the call. They're like, uh, like the ESPN Premier League old olden days, if you will, the olden days of what twenty ten. Um, but this is this is really good for the league, I think, being on ABC. A, a big, massive new reach for the league, if any, particularly when it's on Big Boy ABC as it was. And um, yeah, a, a good result. And this was for Barcelona as well, Taylor. This one finishing four two to the Catalans. Uh, they could use some good results at the moment as we're learning their 1.3 yeah. billion euros in debt. We're learning that they paid a scout in South America 8 million euros Ooh. and they are they are lamenting these uh, kind of financial decisions. Is that Neymar's dad? <laughs> you, I, don't, possibly. I feel like you are jo- joking, but like maybe? Like that does feel like a distinct possibility. A, definite, <laughs> or a, a very definite distinct possibility. And there was the forgiveness of the debt to Neymar of 16 million euros or something. Or the... Uh, you know, they, they they're, the they're talking about it. They're they're going to figure it out. Don't worry about it, Ryan. Don't ask too many questions. I <laughs> did feel like there was to go back to it for a moment. Like the Jared PK taking a pay cut. I, I know that makes him like very much even more beloved to Barca fans, and he's willing to make a sacrifice. And that's <laughs> that's that's good of him. There's a part of me that that really actively hates that though, because like <laughs> this is. Like, to some extent, on a very basic level, I know he is a very well-compensated player and he makes more than most people will make in their lifetime. Like, and probably makes that in a year. But there is still an idea that, like, this is, to me, on some level, it's a hotel that's overspent and has way too many amenities and they spent way too much for them, asking all of their staff to take a pay cut so that they can continue to operate. And there's an element of the business made a lot of mistakes and now it's the individuals who have to make up for them again very well compensated millionaires but there's just an idea of the club celebrating that like yeah we didn't operate anything the way we're supposed to and now the players have to take pay cuts and even then there's the debate about like well why didn't Messi take more and what could they have done and it's just I don't know I it's it's good of him it's very noble of him but simultaneously it frustrates me that that's a thing that we have to celebrate uh the way that I think people are Barcelona bought too many of those little shampoo bottles. Yeah. It's way too many of those. Kept way too many ropes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, too many slippers. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I get what you mean, uh, Taylor, completely. It shouldn't be on PK to, to take that, that pay cut when it's a giant. Uh, I mean, yeah. I know we all like to think romantically of football clubs, particularly Barcelona, but let's be honest, you know, a, a corporation, a, a company, a business that has overspent and, and overreached, but... If I'm to be slightly cynical on the PK pay cut, 
that is an investment in his yeah. next job, shall we say. And I yes. know I said Presidente yes. there, all, and kind of tongue-in-cheek, but I'm also being entirely serious. Uh, Gerard Piquet, I think it's nailed on at some point in the future, will be Barcelona president. And this will do his campaign a lot of good, as yeah. if it needed, uh, you know, it was already a pretty strong campaign, but this will just get it over the line, I think. he's That, that job's in the bag for him. The, the, the folks upstairs are pouring praise on him at the moment as well, Graham. So he, certainly they're helping his case to uh, one day replace them. Uh, and uh, quite quite a bit of poetry in the fact that Jared Piquet got the first goal, yeah. the assist from the free kick from Memphis Depay, the player uh, who was allowed to be registered after he took the pay cut as well. Um, one thing that did bother me about this game, the half-and-half half shorts that Barca are wearing. I know we don't no. feel good about half-and-half half shirts, but we had the... the asymmetric stripes on the shirts combined with half-and-half half shorts of different colours not into it graham how do you feel as our resident kit expert no it's it's i totally agree it's the shorts the, like the, the shirt is bad also <laughs> but it's it's it, you could at least say well they're trying and then you get to the shorts and you go oh you're trying way too hard this is this is a step too step too far indeed that aside i i gotta say like i i have come around to the idea that this could be a very big season for Barcelona. Not just because, like, oh, there's no Messi, what's going to happen? But watching this game, obviously they, they get this result, but I think it had not really occurred to me how big a chip on the shoulder a lot of these players are going to have. Yeah. And it's a messy size chip because all... I just picture myself in a, in a team where our most important talismanic player has left and left very publicly, and the response has been like, well, that's it for Barcelona. Like, <laughs> it, it is just obituaries about this club and how poorly they've been run, and the exodus of players and how they're going to... And if you are one of the players still in that squad, you hear all that, you read all that. And I feel like this performance showed that, like, Martin Braithwaite can do things. And we and no, he's not Lionel Messi. He's not of that caliber. But this Barcelona team, Ian Dark kept saying it throughout the broadcast. Like, they're still very good. They've still had a lot of money spent on them. And I think there's an argument that this team has that extra level of motivation and intensity because no one believes in them. Everyone has written them off, and they are very much succeeding in spite of the other people involved at this club. And I also think there's like would be very interesting if Ronald Koeman basically recognized uh, like there are other people out there who want this job. There are maybe other people out there who the people in power would like to have my job. So I'm just going to score some goals. And I, and I think that there's a, an idea with this team that like, we're going to win every game four, three, we're going to win every game five to three or five to two. And there's like a Mike, the Antoni offense style to this. So like, we're not going to play any defense. We're just going to outscore you 154 to 121 or something like that. And I don't think that's the worst idea to just let Barcelona loose and let them score a bunch of goals. And if they lose some games five to four or four to three, whatever it is, like if you're a manager, you can always come back to like, yeah, we just need better defenders and we just got to freshen up the defense and we'll be fine. But if you're scoring a bunch of goals and entertaining people, I think that's a good way to engender goodwill. So I think there is a lot more positivity to this team than I think I would have expected heading into this game. Yeah, there was also an interesting, sorry, Ryan, there was also an interesting dynamic in the stadium as well, um, yep. where Messi's name was chanted after 10 minutes, the significance of that being obvious, and the stadium kind of joined in and there was a chance of Messi and so on. Then it happened again in 10 minutes into the second half from a, a section of the supporters, and they were they were drowned out by whistles and jeers, which was almost, that was a message. At that point, Barcelona mm -hmm. were... Were they 2-0 up at that stage? They were 3-0 yeah, no, so. up, yeah. yeah. They were 2-0 up at that stage and playing really well. And that, to me, was 
already that was much quicker than I expected. Uh, acknowledgement Agreed. from the Barcelona fans of hold on a minute here. There's still good players at this club. We can still win games, and we're still Bar- FC Barcelona. You know, let's move on already. And that has happened a lot quicker than I expected. You know, the second half of the first game without without Messi. So I think that's quite significant. They may have. I'm not saying moved on entirely, but that process has started. And Sid Lowe noting on Twitter that the 20-odd thousand people in the Camp Nou were louder, he said, than some often uh, times when it's been full as well. So uh, a half-decent atmosphere in there too. Uh, Graham... Breathwaite had a good game here, didn't he? Two goals and an assist. I think that's a, that characterises a good game. Uh, do, do you buy into the narrative that he's improving or has he already been this good? He's always been a hard worker and he can always look pretty classy on his day, but maybe he's got a bit more breathing room. Oh yeah, he certainly has more, more breathing room now. And I, I have always been a bit of a fan of Martin Breathwaite. I said that during the Euros. I, th- I think he gets a lot of harsh criticism, particularly from... English football fans because he wasn't very good for Middlesbrough about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has changed a bit since then and got a bit better since then. Players are allowed to do that. I think, I don't expect him to have, you know, he scored two goals and got an assist in this game. He's not going to do that every game. He's not going to be the new Messi, but he does give them something a little bit different, particularly if Memphis Depay is going to be their new attacking hub, which was very much obvious in this game. I mean, mm-hmm. He loves playing for Barcelona. You can see that already. Memphis yeah. Depay was born to play for FC Barcelona. The flick, and he's won- the flick oh, in the first yeah. minute. So Come good. on. Come and on. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't just the flicks and tricks either. It was There was a final product to his yeah. play. He influenced so much. And he's wanted this for so long. You know, He's waited two years to play for Barcelona, certainly since last summer when it looked like he was going to, to Coleman was going to get him. So he's going to be kind of the attacking hub of that team. And that means there's going to be space for Brathwaite to kind of break him behind, he gives him a bit more verticality, and also he's he you know, he he, he bursts into the box and uh, like no other player they've got. You know, the other players that do that are maybe who? Jordi Alba and Sergino Dest who are the are the fullbacks. So I, I like Brathwaite as an option. He might not play every game. I think Ansu Fati, once he comes back from injury, that is probably his place. I think that front three of Fati, Depay and Griezmann will probably be first choice, but He's a good option, and there's a lot of talk of Brathwaite maybe being sold on at the moment. I, I know Barcelona are desperate for cash, and if it comes down to that, then fair enough, they might just have to take the money. But if it's about building a squad, I would be holding on to him. I got to say, I agree with you on Brathwaite, and I want to talk about Memphis, Memphis for a moment, because if there was one person who is no longer with us who loved what they saw from Memphis to Pie, it is Johan Cruyff. And this is... A very, like, pushing up my glasses soccer nerd thing. But going back to Johan Cruyff becoming a manager and taking over Barcelona and creating basically this Barcelona team that became what we know Barcelona to be today. This very exciting attacking team that will spend money, but at least then somewhat responsibly. Uh, but his major rival at that time was Louis van Gaal, who what was a bit more, you have to do it this way, you have to take these two touches, you must play this way. It was much more structured, much more detail-oriented. And Memphis goes to Man United, does not have success, does not have any anything approximating the success I think that was expected, and I do think a lot of that is Louis van Gaal and having a much more measured, you must play this way, it must be done according to my understanding and my views on the game, and it doesn't work out. And for him to go to Barcelona, the, the club of Johan Cruyff, and just shine the way he did and bring that exuberance, it was just like the thesis statement in the way you're supposed to play if you're a Johan Cruyff 
uh, fanatic or disciple, and I do love Johan Cruyff, so this one made me really happy. And just this team as a whole, I thought the way they played was was really interesting with Sergio Busquets essentially being a left center back. It lets Frankie de Jong be in a position that I think is much more comfortable for him. Mildly annoyed that Pedri continues to remind me what it's like to be young, where you can just play 400 games in a month and then play another one, because why not? But he was he was excellent, and I think there's just a lot of quality that hasn't maybe been appreciated or not fully appreciated by Barcelona that is now there and will thrive. And that doesn't mean they're going to be the best team in Spain, or that doesn't mean this is going to be a team that wins a lot of silverware, but I think it's going to be a competitive team that, that fights in a way that maybe I wasn't expecting. And how would Johan Cruyff feel about that last 10 minutes, Taylor, where they almost uh, brought it back to 3-3, <laughs> basically? Othabal with that brilliant free kick to make it 3-2, yeah. and it was only um, L'Oreal getting caught out on the break to, that made it 4-2. He would have smoked. Well. Cruyff would have um, smoked. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's, that's what he would have made it. He would have started smoking on the sidelines. Almost <sighs> certainly. You would have smoked in every sense of the word, I would imagine, Tete. All right. Uh, Barcelona 4, Real Sociedad 2, this one was. Will Barcelona still be giving positive vibes next week? Tune in to find out. Who knows? Uh, We'll be back after these short messages with some Bundesliga. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show, reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willingly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with. And unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Total Soccer Show, we are back. Let's go to the Westfalenstadion. Borussia Dortmund took on Eintracht Frankfurt and got a 5-2 win on Saturday. This comes after Bayern Munich opened the season with a 1-1 draw against Gladbach on Friday night. Great, this is Marco Rose's Dortmund. Uh, early Haaland scoring twice here and set up another three goals. Quite an afternoon for the Norwegian <laughs> as they steamrolled past Frankfurt here. Gio Reyna on the score sheet as well. Uh, with his with his compatriot Christian Pulisic this weekend, wonderful stuff. Uh, Graham, the the biggest takeaway from me here was from the television angle the amount of beer that was thrown each time Dortmund scored. Uh, I know beer is cheaper in German stadiums, but <laughs> it, it seemed like there was one guy in front of the camera who was always throwing his beer. Do you think he just got a beer, threw it? Oh, they get a score again. We've got to go get another one. Yeah, <sighs> seven seven goals in this game. I can't imagine that he actually drunk much beer if that was the case it was, his whole game was just spent running back and forward from the bar <laughs> it feels like when you when you do like the thing uh you you this will resonate for both of you i'm guessing like like a thing that makes your small child laugh and then they just demand that you keep doing it and you're like yeah. oh, i wish i hadn't started this it's great that they're enjoying it but simultaneously I have to go buy another however many euro beer because and now everyone's expecting me to dump it out again. I loved that. And I loved the commentary team getting increasingly concerned about how much that individual was spending. Exactly so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and how drenched the people around him were getting as well. Right? They couldn't have been that happy yeah. about it. No. Um, but but uh, Graham, this, this Marco Rose team, what, what did we learn about them? They were in sort of a, a 4-2-3-1 here. Looked very, very quick in transition, uh, but also sloppy goals conceded and sloppy set pieces conceded. So business as usual yeah yeah there was there were some signs of progress and we le- definitely learned more about how Marco Rosa is going to use this, mm. this Dortmund squad there were also some signs as you referenced there Ryan of some of the problems that ha- that Dortmund had last se- last season still being a problem this season obviously it's only day one in the Bundesliga so Rosa still has some time to, to work on those but I, d- I think he does deserve a lot of credit for how he has shifted this Dortmund team already. Obviously, one of the the big talking points, arguably the biggest talking point for Dortmund this season, at least on the pitch, um, obviously they've got a new manager as well, but Jadon Sancho is no longer there, stating the obvious. So Mm. how are they going to adapt without him? And I think one of the things we learned from this game was that wingers might not be as key a part, as key key part, sorry, I can't speak all of a sudden now, uh, of Dortmund's play as it was previously. So there isn't really a a Jadon Sancho replacement. They are much more centralised, that that kind of, that Reyna, Haaland, Torgan Hazard, who he can play as a wide man, but I thought he was was playing a bit more central here. And then Marco Reusa, who, by the way, I'm, I'm delighted to see him I'm really excited about his continued revival. He looked really fresh, particularly in the first half. He was he was doing a lot to press high up the pitch, lots of energy, nice flicks, good decision making. I'm I'm really excited for his kind of career renaissance and how important he could be to this this Marco Rosa team. Um, but yeah, I think I think Rosa, Rosa is getting the best out of Dortmund's strengths early on, which is essentially in the attack at the back. There are a few more questions. Axel Witzel played as as one of the centre backs, which. 
I will admit I hadn't seen much of, of Dortmund in preseason, so that was a little bit of a surprise to me. I, I, I've since read that that had been experimented with before, but that was a surprise to me. He was played alongside Manuel Akanji, um, but it, that that did allow them to control possession. I think that was the idea. You know, Witzel is, is much more of a, a of a ball player, so having him in central defence allowed him to control the ball. Nobody played more passes that, uh, than those those two players. And then Dahu and, and Bellingham in the middle, very dynamic through Bellingham, as you would mm. you would come to expect. And then a, a good level of control through Dahu. And then you have Erling Haaland doing Erling Haaland things. I mean, his his record for Dortmund is incredible. Sixty one games he's played for the club, and he averages a goal or an assist every 62 minutes. Wow. That is something else. That's quite a lot, isn't it? When you think about it. Um, he, yep. Taylor, Erling Haaland looked, and I use the cliche, literally unplayable at times here. It's yep. just like he couldn't get near him. He was winning everything. He was stealing balls left, right and centre. He was, you know, even his goal celebrations, they seemed to go up a level. He was mounting Marco Royce on the floor after the first goal <laughs> it appeared. Uh, but I, I asked, like, yeah. If Manchester City is so hot in pursuit of someone like Harry Kane, yeah. why are they not going a little harder after someone like Erling Haaland? I don't know, is the answer. I, 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 yeah, I mean, sure, let's go with that. I mean, I think there <laughs> is probably the price tag. I, I, I understand that there's a hesitation from Haaland to maybe commit to playing in the Premier League. Obviously, his father had a rough go, uh, courtesy of Roy Keane playing well, in the Premier League. He literally played for that team. He could, you know, And he was born in Manchester. Why wouldn't he go yeah. back? Uh, then, I mean, it's his dad, right? Who gets his, like, his knee broken by Roy Keane. Like, there's, <laughs> there's, I think, an element of maybe the physicality of the Premier League is a question mark for him. Uh, but that aside, maybe it's the price tag. And if Jaden Sancho costs what he cost, Erling Holland is probably going to cost double. But he seems, so, so the, my point earlier about how, like, City were missing a forward who just, Wanted the ball, knew where he needed to be, knew what the runs needed to be. I mean, that was Erling Haaland throughout this game. Just, like, picking up the ball, and nobody, even Gio Reyna, who constantly was demanding the ball and wanted the ball and wanted the ball, as soon as Haaland is near him, it's like, nope, it's yours. I know I'm not getting this one. <laughs> On you go. And, and Ryan, to your point about Leeds and the way they were trying to take their goal kicks, uh, the, the I was going to say then, but it fits here, that, like, Dortmund did exactly that. It just works because they have Holland to aim for, who can bring everything down and hold the ball up and run in behind. And and he just he gives you so many different looks. I think Man City, like the only thing I can argue is that they don't want to add him because they at least want it to be like a somewhat competitive stroll to the title, and they don't want to win it by like forty points. Which if you put him in that team, I don't know how they ever lose a game again. Yes. Oh, you think you're doing it for competitive reasons, then Taylor? Yes, they're being generous to us all, but uh, yeah, we all know that City are are about the oh, competitiveness of yeah. the Premier League, yeah, and fairness and financial fairness and like just like the play that is financially fair. They're big on Get, that. Uh, Pepe, uh, take you to court. Be careful. <laughs> Allegedly, there we go. I'm covered. Uh, I will say the thing that I, I I loved. I went back. I I did a a I held a clock to this one. I had the stopwatch going for their first three goals. All three combined. From the time that they get the ball until the time it's in the back of the net, it takes 29.52 seconds for three goals to be scored. That is how rapid fire that counterattack is from Dortmund. And that is how important Erling Haaland is. Because when he gets that ball, defenders collapse on him. It opens up space for other runners. And he himself can obviously uh, score a goal or two. So I think he is just... It's just a reminder of how much of a physical specimen he is. If you put him and Paul Pogba on the same team again, it's like when you didn't... 
those like old apocryphal stories of when you didn't have to dribble in basketball and just the giant guy would walk down the floor like holding the ball up as high as he could. That's what I picture. It's just Pogba and Holland just holding off 12 people at once. You get an extra player <laughs> on the field if you're playing against those two. I don't think I've ever seen as strong a runner as Ellen Holland. Right? It's like watching the Iron Giant like run. <laughs> Erling Holland is also voiced by Vin Diesel. Little known fact. It's a weird thing. <laughs> Um, with with Eintracht Frankfurt, Frankfurt, excuse me, Graham. You know how quite often when Rain, Wayne Rooney started a season, it would take him sort of five or six games to sort of wake up and get fit. It felt like most Frankfurt players were in that same mindset for this game. They were quite sloppy here. Uh, I, I was looking up; they actually lost uh, last weekend to SV Waldhof in the DFB Pokal first round. They're a Dritte Bundesliga team, so they're in the third tier. They lost two nil to them, and then they've gone and got uh, conceded five to Dortmund as well. It seems like they're not quite up to scratch at the moment. So maybe Dortmund were flattered a bit by that. Um, slightly, I, yeah. I, th- I would agree that Frankfurt were were, were very poor, and given the, the quality as a side, I, I did expect more from them. I, th- I think the the positives in this game may have come towards the end of the match when they made some of their changes. The one that I was most excited about, although he actually, I say the end of the match, he came on at half time, but it wasn't really until the latter stages that Jan, uh, Jens Peter Haug, I think is how you pronounce that, mm. he was at uh, AC Milan last season. Um, slightly surprised that AC Milan have, have let him go um, because I thought he was, he looked like a very interesting, exciting prospect. So I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he becomes a bit of a key player for them very quickly. I, th- I like the way he is, uh, I mentioned previously, an attacking hub about Memphis Dubai. He has the potential to kind of be that sort of player for, for Frankfurt. And obviously they are transitioning slightly out into a, a kind of new a new uh, new age with uh, kind of new players, new managers, so on. And that, that's been the case for a, a, a couple of seasons where every season Frankfurt seemed to lose you know, a, a big player a few years ago, it was uh, Luka Jovic, obviously, going to, to Real Madrid. So they have been in this situation before. What I'm trying to say is I don't think it's panic stations for them. They do tend to, as you mentioned, they kind of start slowly. But, um, yeah, it was, it was a bit poor for them. I'm looking at some of their match ratings and uh, there, there's nobody over uh, seven. So that kind of tells you everything you need to know about how they played. Yeah. He's Norwegian as well, isn't he? So yeah. a good day for Norwegian forwards uh, at the uh, Signal Iduna Park if you will. Um, so that was Dortmund against Eintracht 5-2 to Dortmund. I, was, go, go ahead. Taylor. Can I just jump in to say, once sure. again, I think we need to end the season right now because looking at the table, Stuttgart are top, but American has won the Bundesliga. Uh, congratulations to Man United and VFB Stuttgart. Uh, big seasons across the board for those two. Big seasons. And I once again emphasize that I'm glad that the season's, the Premier League season's stopping because I'm financially uh, uh, benefiting from Manchester United being <laughs> top of the Premier League when all is said and done, as I've mentioned on this show before. Uh, probably another bit of uh, Bundesliga news or German soccer news we should talk about. A sad weekend. Gerd Müller uh, passed away this weekend as well. The legendary striker. He died at the age of 75 as well. You should uh, certainly oh, look no. into him. Uh, check him out on YouTube if you don't know much about him as well. A very legendary figure for Bayern Munich, for many other, um, for, for the German national team and uh, for, for German soccer fans uh, a sad day that was um, one more game to talk about gents let's take our attentions to major league soccer we had the Timbers and the Sounders Graham a big scoreline here 6-2 this one finishing to Seattle yeah. we had a rather rather good uh, goal to celebrate in this one too yes absolutely it's one of the it's one of the goals of the season I think they should just hand out the goal the MLS goal of the season to this um Jimmy Madranda, a real Paul Scholes of a yeah. volley from a mm. from a corner kick. 
it doesn't touch the ground. It's straight from the corner kick. A brilliant pass out to him, edge of the box, and he meets it first time, I think, with his left foot, and it smashes in off the underside of the bar. Goals Best. are always better when Best. they strike the underside of the bar and go Correct. in. And um, oh. this is a goal that has bounced around social media all day. I have obviously got the European perspective, and it's been shared a lot over here. So I think when an MLS goal uh, has that sort of reach, you know it's a good goal. And it wasn't the only good goal in this game no. because the Raul Rui Diaz free kick for 3-2 is an absolute missile as well into the top <laughs> corner. I mean, th- this was a really, really fun game. Um, I think that... The Unless most... you're a Timbers fan, yeah. yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> but, but even for them, there was a, yeah, there was true, a good true. moment in the match, you know, at, at 2-2 after they, they fight back from 2-0 down. But the, the, the I think this is the most... I read this is the most goals Seattle have ever scored against Portland in a single match in the MLS era. So, yes, as you say, Taylor, there, a fun one for Seattle, but by the time they got to full time, not so fun for the Timbers. Yeah, Taylor, and the Timbers, I think, uh, that I think I've read that second only to Toronto in terms of goals scored, or goals conceded, excuse me, are the Timbers, which is not where they would want to be. Certainly, uh, I think still in playoff contention, but only just. But for Seattle, the way they're getting performances from the players you would expect, like Raul Ruiz Diaz and Nico Lodero in there, but then for it to be Jimmy Madronda and Freddie Montero getting a goal, like you need those contributions from those players that you bring in to have an impact to kind of pick up the slack. If you have, say, Jordan Morris out for a big chunk of the season, then you can get those performances. And if those players basically raise their level or rise to the occasion, then you get a 6-2 win against your biggest rival, and I think things are happy for Seattle. Uh, and I just thought this was another one. I watched this one this morning that was just, it was a fun game. I think this weekend on the whole reminded us that this sport is really fun and really yeah. worth watching, even if you're not like a diehard fan. Just tuning in to watch a game, you never know what's going to happen, and you might get to see that goal from Madronda. Graham, refresh my memory. It goes off the other side of the post, which is always a positive. I know it does the then rocket down onto the ground just past the goal line so you know yeah. it's gone in does it then have the courtesy to fly back up and hit the top of the netting as well because that yes, really is the does. final point oh that's yep. wonderful it goes underside of the post down off the turf over the line and then back up into the net again Woo. which is it, it's almost the perfect goal yeah <laughs> like yep. everything about it like yep. it's so good and that, that i think that's why it's had i haven't actually checked but i bet it's got about a million views on, on twitter it's, it's really so. bouncing around yeah, it's scientifically proven that if a goal like that does hit uh, the mm-hmm. woodwork, it is uh, 10 times better. There's, there's just science. You can't argue with it. Um, <laughs> Taylor, uh, it's, uh, Seattle in the Western Conference at the moment are yep. at 10-6-3. They're in second place behind Sporting Kansas. But do we just do we just hand this thing to them again this year? What do you think? Yeah, sure. I'm fine with that. <laughs> I mean, like, it, it's... I genuinely forgot what month it was for a moment. It's August. We got a long way to go. And I think as is tradition, you have to have one team figure things out with like seven games to go sneak into the playoffs and then make a deep run. So right now I feel like that's LAFC are poised to do something like that. So we'll have to Is wait. Is it too to late for but... Miami? <laughs> <laughs> well, they need four more DPs and then we'll see what they put <laughs> right, together sure. from there. Where are they? Are they? No. Okay. They're, yeah. They're 12th right now. They're I just had bottom. the, yeah, they're, to check. they're moving on up. Moving on up. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's not too late then. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Let's make no jokes. Um, <laughs> But no, I think I think yeah, Seattle just just fi- they just do it, man. <laughs> That's all there is to it. Yeah. They just like they're just always in there. They're an ever-present fixture, and they back it up with performances like this. 
I thought this was a really scary performance for the rest yep. of MLS from, yep. from Seattle. Obviously, they had a li- they've had a little bit of a slump, but then they, they they were a lot better in that in that League's Cup competition, which I have to say I've yet to fully grasp. But <laughs> they were a correct. lot better in, in, in that game. <laughs> yeah, um, but you know, Nicholas Ladero coming on and he's barely featured this season. Um, Brian Schmetzer has been really. Um, keen to not throw mm-hmm. him in so he only comes in I think for the second half here he's only played 10 minutes here and there as well in, in, in other games and so the Sounders are a point off the, t- off the top of the West when they've just got Ladero back one of the best number 10s in the league they're about to get their first choice goalkeeper back in Stephen Fry uh, Jordan Morris is working his way back from, from injury and uh, a player I wasn't actually familiar with until this game, but Benazet, I think is how you maybe pronounce that, has has joined and has already found the back of the net in this game. And I just think they're a bit of a, a scary team. They've now scored six goals in the 99 minutes that Nicolas Odero has spent on the field this season. So once he starts getting regular game time and actually starting matches, yeah, we might as well just wrap up this season. That is a distinct possibility with the way this Sounders team is going. <laughs> So Nico Ladero and Erling Haaland, equally impressive stats is what I'm hearing. Yes, they're, they're basically the same player is what I'm saying, yes. <laughs> Slightly different. Hair. If you put Nico Ladero on Nico Ladero's shoulders, I think they're as tall as Erling Haaland. So yeah, that checks out. <laughs> yeah. All right, gents, I think that just about wraps <laughs> up our note. weekend review. Unless, Taylor, you have anything more you'd like to share with the world? No, just uh, I think uh, it's it's always fitting that whenever we go over an hour, it has to end with some sort of nonsense. And me trying to create a scenario in which Nico Ladero is uh, stacked on top of himself while wearing a trench coat feels like a fit again to this show. I feel I feel like if the um, what you know how the NBA does like the dunk contest and all those sort of the, the, the three yeah. point contest and so on. If there was a, if there was something like that in soccer, it should just be. Um, different players going on different players' shoulders and trying to knock over <laughs> Ellen Halland. That's my proposal for that for that the weekend. New, the new skills challenge. I'm into it. Yeah, I'm into it. Who yeah. who can withstand an Erling Holland celebration at full at full 100 capacity? I don't know who could do that. That's genius. We should call it the Vince Adult Man competition in honor of Bojack and the two children in the raincoat who are. <laughs> I'm going for a John McGinn. On on as the base, I feel like he. Sorry, I'm putting way too much thought into this. Luis Suarez, Luis Suarez on John McGinn oh would knock Ellen Halland over. Can I have three Shakiris? How about that? <laughs> Cute. That's, that's that's a good shout as well. <laughs> that that feels like some sort of prophecy. If you stack three power cubes on top of each other, I think that's the premise to Justice League. I might be wrong. and on that bombshell let's conclude our weekend review Taylor Rockwell a pleasure chatting with you as always I look forward to continuing all through this season on a Monday baby right back at you buddy and Graham Rutherford what a pleasure for you to join us today as well all the things I said to Taylor but with your name in his place (laughs) (laughs) thank you Ryan one weekend down about a million to go it never ends it never ends (sighs) it's all enjoyable It is indeed. Such is the tapestry of life. Thank you, listener. We'll be back soon. Bye!